If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Matthew. Our text this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to read those that passage, and we'll begin. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? He said, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Father, this morning I want to come before you and just, I I pray, God, as a tool just in your, in your hand, I, I pray for, for grace. I pray for my, my mind to be open. I pray, Father, that the words would come from your throne, Lord. You know the hearts of each one in here. You know what we need. I pray, God, that your words, the word of life, would go forth seasoned with grace. And I pray, Father, that you would get glory today, that your word would be proclaimed, that Christ would be exalted. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about discipleship. When you look at the Great Commission, the Great Commission says this. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it says, make disciples of all men or of all nations. It's sad to say that for the biggest part, at least in the church in America, there's been studies reported, things like these numbers, that that over that, that less than 5% of all professing believers have ever shared their faith one time. Now, I want you to think about something. Christianity really is summed up in this, and this is under the umbrella of, to glorify God. And everything we do, that is, that is the overarching theme of, of Christianity. And under that, there are really two things that Christians do. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. And when people come to saving faith, we make disciples To go out and do what? To go out first, do what? Preach the gospel and make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples. It's interesting. Me and Justin and I have been on the streets many times, not recently, sad to say, shamefully today to say. But the many times we've went out, you can rest assured that everyone in Oklahoma is a Christian. Because all you have to do is start talking about Christianity and eventually it will rise to the top and they'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. 
Or you could say, well, are you a, are you a Christian? You're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. What we need to do, church, we need to follow that up with this. So, you're someone who follows Christ, whose life has been conformed or is being conformed to the image of Christ, that you have died to self and you are following Him. And you, I will almost guarantee you will be saying, oh, no, I'm not one of those. There was a pastor a few years back, he was on a a trip, he was going to a conference to preach, and he was on a flight, and and a young girl sitting next to him, you know, he's reading his Bible, he strikes up a conversation, and it went like this, I mean, they're visiting, and he's asked her, are you a believer? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian, and he, and kind of like what I just said, he says, so you, you just, you're giving your all to Christ, and she says, oh, I'm not that kind of Christian. There's not two kinds of Christians. Church, are we disciples of Christ? What, what, here, here's the scariest thing, and, and this, you may not understand this, but whether you think you are in the disciple-making business or not, you are already in it. Let, let me ask you something. Why is it that, that there are very, very, very few Christians who are evangelizing? Do you want me to tell you why? Because people will actually preach these things from the pulpit, but they will fail to lead in it. Most pastors are afraid to go out and do what they say you should be doing. I've actually heard people say, no, 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 my job is to preach, you're to go do that. You may tell you why they don't want to do it. Because Justin will tell you every time we go out, there's this spot where we have to step over this invisible line of we feel the gripping fear inside to try to share the good news with people. So I can just simply say, well, I, I preach from here. I just tell you how to do it, and then you go do it, and I'm not leading in it. And we go, well, I don't know why there's no evangelism going on. I don't know why. Just yesterday, my wife read to me an article that was in the news or something on, on Facebook, and it's got to be true if it's on Facebook. But uh, but it went like this, and this was in Oklahoma City. It's Assembly of God Church. I think it's Faith Assembly of God. It's a big church. runs around 1,800 people. The guy just went through a several-week series preaching on the topic that the whole United States is dealing with right now, the, the homosexual agenda, the LGBT. I don't ever get them letters right. That whole agenda. And when he comes to the conclusion... He says, it, for Christians, it is for us to love people, but we are going to stand by the standard, the Word of God, and we are not going to apologize. And many people in his congregation got up and left, shaking their heads. So what kind of disciples are we making? What kind of disciples are we making? The pastor said he was in shock 
We've been going through the book of Corinthians, at least I have. I mean, Randy's been going through Romans on Wednesday nights. I've been going through Corinthians. And the reason I went through Corinthians is because me and him together went through a series on what a healthy church looks like. And so I went into Corinthians to demonstrate what an unhealthy church looks like. Folks, are we coming to Bible studies just like, oh, we're going to Bible study. Yeah, we're in Corinthians. Yeah, we learned tonight, you know, God shouldn't uh, be sleeping with his stepmom. And we just go on. No, this is part of discipleship. This is part of learning. You see, the problem is, Randy told me the other day, he said a guy, a neighbor of his, several years ago came to him, and he said, and the guy was an atheist? He's an atheist. And he says, Randy, I've, I've got a real problem. He said, don't you claim to be a Christian? Yes, and if I butcher this up, y'all can ask him how it really went. But this guy raised goats, and his biggest buyer of these goats was some Muslims in California. They'd buy a whole herd of them at a time. Don't know why. I guess they was eating them or something, but whatever it was, doesn't matter. But he says, I have a real problem. He says, these guys are Muslims. I know you two don't agree. He says, but when I meet these Muslims, they, what they say they believe... You see it in their life. He says, I don't see that in the people I meet who claim to be Christians. So what kind of disciple are you today? I was talking to my son about this a little bit this morning. I said, can you imagine, Kyle, can you imagine going to war? And you're in a platoon and you have a leader and you've got people around you that are just trying to find themselves or, you know, there's some activity outside of our bunker here and it's really disturbing me and I just don't think I can go fight today. Who wants to be in that platoon? You see, folks, I think probably some of the problem is we've gone stagnant here and I want to apologize to you. When our churches merged together, we talked about trying to go into the neighborhoods and, and, you know, evangelizing in a way. We talked about trying to do this and this. And a part of it is I'm busy. I work Monday through Friday, five to, or eight to five. I mean, and I, I'm just wore out. And I'm just like, ah, it's so hard. Excuses aren't acceptable. My excuses ain't acceptable to me. We're in a war. We're in a war. And you know what? The, the, so much of the time, you know why your focus is on you? Because you're not focusing on the leader. You're not focusing on Christ. And you're not focusing on where He's trying to lead you individually and us as a church. So what kind of disciples are we making? saw on ESPN the other day a, a show called 30 for 30. I don't understand the title, but it talks about things in the past. And there was a basketball team in the late 80s, early 90s called the Detroit Pistons. Everybody hated them guys. They absolutely hated them guys. Because you go back and watch the films. If you watch the NBA playoffs this year, you're so mad about Draymond Green or whoever. That guy looks like a choir boy compared to the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons. I mean, they weren't even faking it. They were just giving forearms right to the face. But here's the thing. When somebody would come and join that team, they would bring them into a team meeting. And they'd say, listen, we are the Detroit Pistons, and this is what we're about. And if you're not about this, we don't need you. Discipleship. 
I'm not saying that's biblical comment, it's discipleship. I want to read this to you today. I will actually get to the text now. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. First of all, folks, a disciple, this is what it is. A disciple is not just a popular phrase to say, oh, I'm a disciple of Christ. It's just like saying I'm a Christian. Nowadays, people say, I'm not a Christian, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. I don't care what title you give it. I don't care what you say. If you're not doing it, it's just a bunch of nothingness. Okay? It's just words, empty words coming out of your mouth. A disciple is someone who adheres to and, and who accepts the instructions given to him, now listen, and makes it his rule of conduct. A disciple is not having good theology. It's not having good doctrine. And we sit around and we talk about good theology and good doctrine. And we get on all the Facebook clubs about Reformed doctrine this, blah, that, you know, Spurgeon guys here, whatever it is. And we just all beat up on the Armenians or whoever it is. And we go, we're disciples of Christ. No, you're just a bunch of kids that need to grow up. If the Apostle Paul were alive today, I don't think he'd spend much time on Facebook, folks. Just going to put it plain to you. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I think we spend way too much time on that stuff. It's someone who adheres to and who accepts the instructions given to him and makes it his rule of conduct. It's amazing to me how ignorant our country wants to be, our leadership of our country wants to be, when Muslims go in and they destroy people and they're saying, we're doing this in the name of, you know, whatever, that Akbar phrase. And we do, you know, they're like, oh, these people just have some issues in the past. They're trying to get in. No, they're actually telling you who they are and why they're doing it. They are disciples of what they've been taught. They're adhering to, they're accepting the instruction, and they're making it their rule of conduct in life. Jehovah's Witness, them guys knocking on your doors, Mormons, at least they're doing what they've been discipled to do. So if you want to follow Christ, here's what he says. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone wants to, to, to come after me to deny himself, to deny yourself, that's to remove from yourself. It's, it's to refuse, to deny, to disown. What does that look like in reality? Well, do you remember what Paul said? Everything that was gained to me. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a, of the tribe of Benjamin. Concerning zeal, I was a Pharisee. Or no, I was a Pharisee. He says, concerning zeal... I persecuted the church. If you wanted to have a really good name, a lot in the, in the Jewish system back then, it was based on how zealous you were for what you believed. Listen, he wasn't just a persecutor of the church. He was the persecutor of the church. He says, you want to talk about credentials? He's talking about those who are trying to, uh, to uh, undermine his authority as an apostle. He says, you want to, you want to show some bragging rights? Here's my credentials. He said, but I want you to know this, everything that I thought was good for me, that was gained for me, I counted it but trash, but refuse 
that I may win Christ. Now, it's not that we win Christ by things we do, but what he is doing is giving an example of someone who has trained and trained, and they've laid aside every weight, and they're running as hard as they can that they can win the prize. That's a disciple of Christ. That's what it means to deny yourself. He says to take up his cross. And there's a good one. We, we don't, I mean, the, the phrase take up your cross, people don't really say that a lot. But it is amazing. I, I do phone work. I walk into people's homes. And there will be a, a, an entire wall given to the hanging of all these different types of crosses. People wear them as necklaces around their neck. They wear them on T-shirts. They get tattoos of a cross. When Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross, that was a phrase that would send chills down your spine. In that day and time, everybody knew what that phrase was. That phrase meant, you must be willing to go to your death in order to follow me. The disciples we make today, got books out there, all bunch of, we just got a bunch of books out there, your best life now. Hey, listen, folks, out of about 400 and something pages, when there's not one mention of the cross, there's not one mention of the gospel, hard to, hard, I just ain't going to say it's, it's probably not your best life now. Just probably not. Well, not in Christ. Not in Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have a good life. No matter how good it is, you don't have that. To take up our cross, to die to self, I mean, it's to, it's to be willing. Listen, the, the, the gospel is not an invitation to fulfill the American dream in your life. That you can have everything you want. You can, I mean, God does not want you to suffer. He wants you, to, I mean, he, this, you just, you know, you just believe how good you are. Where is this stuff coming from? Because it does not come from Christ. He tells us, I want you to know that when I die, you're going to suffer. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you for my sake. The gospel invitation is an invitation to come and die and to live forever. But you can't live forever unless you come and die. Not everybody answers this call. And we're going to get to that in a minute. The cross. What does it mean? The Greek word is staros, something like that. It's that portion of affliction which is endured by pious and good men as a trial of their faith to conform them to the example of their crucified master. Lord, help us. God help us the moment we get in a little bit of discomfort. Now that's not to say that there are trials. There are grievous trials that Christians go through. There are Christians here who are going through hard trials. But church, let's be honest. Most of the time, most of the time the trials we're going through is just a little bit of discomfort in our life. My wife and I are going through a trial. 
We've had a little boy since he was four days old. I know you're all familiar with this, but I just want to, I just want to tell it to you in just a brief way. It's hard to deal with that we're, we're about to lose him unless something just weird happens. Okay? It's gut-wrenching to us. We, it's, we do foster care. We, we don't look at ourselves as that. We look at ourselves, this is our little boy. And we're losing him. And there's really nothing we can do. And it's tough. We, I, don't like to, I don't like to try to think the right things about this. I don't want to try to say the right things about this. I just want it to go my way. But I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, you know, we preach and we teach that God is sovereign, that everything happens under His counsel, under His will, for His purpose and His good pleasure. And I don't understand. I have asked God that He could be ours forever. And at this time, it feels like God's saying, I'm not going to do that, Ron. And there's part of me inside that gets angry, and I want to be just like a little kid saying, no, I want you to do this. But you see, I don't know God's sovereign plan. He sees things that I can't see. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this little guy will be an instrument to, to bond people together. I don't know. But I said, I know this. I know there's Christians in this world right now who are getting their children taken from them, who are getting their children put to death, sometimes right in front of their own eyes, and they're not renouncing the name of Christ. Our trial is not as hard as that. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm talking about, what kind of disciple are you? Are you this kind right here? Or are you this kind that, where have we got this thinking from? Is it because we're watching Dr. Phil and Oprah and that Wayne guy that's just some kind of weird spiritual guru, strange guy? If you know his last name, I, you'll have to help me. I always forget it, but it's craziness for the Christian. It is insanity for the Christian to be looking to that counsel and not looking to our Lord on how to act. He says, now, now I want to point out something. He says, anyone that would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not just about denying yourself. It's not just about following something or someone. Do you know why there's a, you know, here lately, Reformed theology has, has been on the up, upswing. Now, I'm going to be honest. I, my, my upswing had nothing to do with anybody uh, like some guy that I thought was really cool, and he's this, and I'm going to be like him. No. When I found out that I, I might be holding to Reformed theology and, and salvation, it made me angry. I did not want to be one of those guys. When, matter of fact, Randy Tyler is the one who had the discernment to point it out to me. I told him, I said, you better not say that again, because I'm not one of them. But today I'm fearful that there's a lot of people who just want to do that because it's cool and popular. And as soon as their guy that they follow decides he's something else, they'll go with him. I don't base what I believe on according to what John Piper believes, or John MacArthur, or Sproul. I appreciate those men, but you know what? At best, they're just men. You say, well, Ron, they're a lot more... Yeah, they're more well-known than me. I, I probably... 
I probably wouldn't want to be like those guys. I mean, you ever seen those guys at a conference? People line up with the world's most difficult question. There's 500 of them lined up. It's ridiculous how Christians act in those things. They're men of God, and God has given them a platform. If God so chooses, he could give any one of us a platform. You may find out that's not really what you wanted when you get there. Why am I talking like this today? You say, Ron, you sound like you're angry. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated in myself. I don't know how many times Dustin Dornick has come to me and said, Hey, Ron, are we doing the prayer meeting tonight? You see, because Ron's the guy that said, We're going to start doing this. I'm frustrated at our church that we can't find prayer serious enough that we would come do it. I'm frustrated at me that I have to be reminded by Dustin and Chris Giesler and Aaron saying, hey, are we going to pray? And I'm going, no, I don't really want to because it's Sunday. Because around 3 o'clock I get more tired than I do on Monday through Saturday and I really just don't want to do anything. I much less don't want to drive another 26 miles over to Ada. And then we hear of churches where because a guy says we're going to stand on the word of God and people get up and his congregation has been long-standing members and they shake their heads in disgust because he says we're going to hold to what the word of God says and then yet prayer, prayer is just, just not on the top of my priority list. Me time. I'm not trying to beat up on you. I'm just not sure anybody would want to go to war with us. Not against us, but would they want us on our team? Church, I want you to go back and do some study on history about these great revivals. We all want the great revival time. But are you going to be the little old ladies that met every week, week after week, year after year, who prayed that this revival would take place? Who's going to do the plowing in that part that the revival would come? You see, that's what you call people who've learned Christ. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, I have not learned Christ like I ought to. Because the actions in my life demonstrate it. And I'm the one that gets to preach this. That's tough. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a real paradox here. By losing, you gain. By keeping, you lose. Real paradox. Church, I'm not going to lie to you. There's times in life we feel it, don't we? We see everybody around us, churches. Man, they are just got that, you know, that, ah, that K-love, you know, atmosphere. Ha-ha, <laughs> they laugh about everything, you know. They're just, <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. I probably need more of that. But we see that around us, and you go, you know what, man, I'm just tired of the fight. I just want to give in. I just want to give in and just preach fluffy sermons or everybody's, you know, happy when we leave. And I just, and then I back up and I'm going, there's people that are lost. There's people that are dying. There's people that when they die today, they're going to go to hell 
who is going. Listen, the, the job of the church is not to try to get unbelievers in your church. The job of the church is to go out and preach the gospel. That's the job of the church. And he says, look, if you, if you try to save your life, what does that mean? The life that you enjoy, the life you have. You know, and what I'm talking about is this. How many people have you heard or you've seen their life, you know, they get in business. Businessmen are like this really big. You know, they, they're in, they got a business in town, so what do they do? They got to have that well-rounded look, right? I mean, it's good for business. And I, I've had them tell me this. They go find a pretty good-sized church, maybe the biggest church, and they also looking for a church that's got money. <laughs> we ain't got too many business people, do we? Huh? So... Um, and they and they have told me they they do that partly because it's the well-rounded look and partly they can drum up more business. What kind of disciples are we making? What are we teaching? Pastors won't run those guys off cuz man we could build bigger buildings. We can get not a little Keurig, we can get an actual Starbucks chain in here. If we got the money What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew 19. As we're turning there, I want to, I want to give you one more definition. When he talks about the word follow him, it's got two parts to the word follow. First, there's a cleaving to him following his leading, a cleaving to Christ. And the second part of that is sharing in his sufferings, not only inwardly, but outwardly. If you want to follow Christ, it's a cleaving to him, and it's a sharing in his sufferings, both on the inside and quite possibly on the outside, physical physical pain. Look, if you will, in Matthew 19, and I'm going, to, I'm going to begin in verse 16, listen to this. He says, and behold, a man came up to him, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, remember that phrase right there. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? He says, there's only one who is good. And if you would enter life, he says, keep the commandments. And he said to him, he says, which ones? And Jesus said, he says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. He says, honor your father and mother. And he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I lack? Now, when you read that, has anybody ever noticed what those are part of? They're part of the Ten Commandments. Interestingly enough, they're Commandments 5 through 9. You see, the Ten Commandments are broke up into two parts. The first four are basically telling you to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The last six are telling you to love your neighbors yourself. That's interesting. Why, why didn't he do 5 through 10? Well, number 10 says this, thou shalt not covet. Okay? But what did he say? He says, here's the commandments. He says, let me read them again real quick. He says, uh, 
Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and honor your father and mother. He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said this, he says, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, he says, if you would be perfect. Now, in the book of Mark, he says like this, it says, Jesus, looking at him and and loved him. And the reason I want to point that out is this. Sometimes I see Christians, sometimes I see Reformed theology Christians, they give a very cold, mechanical, here's what the gospel is, and I respond. I'm on my way. Now, Jesus took the time. He looked at this young man, and it says he loved him. Here in Matthew, he says, if you would be perfect, he says, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, in American Christianity, when the man responded with, I've done all that, in American Christianity, we would have said, praise God, you're, you're saved, you're a Christian. But Jesus went a little step further, and what's he doing? He's revealing the man's heart. You see, he didn't name, you shall not covet. But actually what Jesus does, he exposes the fact that not only did he have covetousness in his heart, which means he did not really keep any of those commands, but he didn't keep the first four either. Because you're not to have any God before the Lord your God. He did not honor God first and foremost. Here's what he did. What did Jesus just say over there? He said, if a man tries to keep his life, he's going to lose it. Right? This man looked at all that he had. He looked at all of this. And Jesus is saying, here's what you have to do. If you want eternal life, you've got to go sell all this. Now, if you really love your neighbor like you're telling me, go give, go distribute it out to the poor. Go love your neighbor. Who's telling him this? It's the one who owns everything. If the one who owns everything says, go sell your house and give it to the poor and come and follow me. I just want to ask you something. What are you going to do? Now, I'm not telling you today that, that we all run out and do That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this. When, when the Lord comes, when the Spirit of God is, is leading you, prompting you to say, I want you to do this. I want you to step down from this good job you have. And I want you to move over here and you're going to take this lower position. But I've got people in that place I want you to talk to. What are you going to do? Are you going to look at your 401K? Are you going to look at the prestige you have? The, the upstanding citizen you are in this place, are you willing to leave all of that to follow Christ over here? See, American Christianity doesn't do that. And I'm speaking in a general sense. I'm not saying that everybody, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I hope you understand that. The question started out, what, what good thing shall I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. Which ones? Well, I'm doing all those. Let's contrast that real quick. 
Let's turn over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, if you don't know, Saul is Paul, same name. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. Same guy. He's the persecutor of the church. That's what he's doing. He's going to Damascus. He's going to, he says, he asked for letters. In verse 2, he says, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Who are you, Lord? If you go over to, I think it's in in, tw- in chapter 22, Paul gives another account. And when he's recounting this, he asks the Lord, he says, what shall I do? And the Lord told him to rise and go into Damascus, and it will be told you. Similar question to the rich young ruler, what shall I do to have eternal life? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Lord, what shall I do? So here, here it is. He says, go to Damascus, and it will be told what you shall do. And uh might want to go back to chapter 9. But listen to this. In chapter 9, look, look down at, at verse... Uh, look down at verse 10. Now, Paul, is, he's been struck with blindness here, and he's gone into Damascus, and he's waiting. And in verse 10 of, of chapter 9, verse 10, it says, There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, and he said, Here, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, he says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And now listen, and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So at Paul's conversion, he's going to be told, I'm going to use you to preach to kings and rulers and Gentiles and all these things. And oh, by the way, you're going to suffer greatly 
because of me, because of my name. What was Paul's response? Yes, Lord. He didn't go, he didn't look at his life he had. He didn't look as over in, in, in Philippians 3 where he looks at all that he has. He has notoriety amongst the Jews. He is a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew, a Benjaminite, zeal, a persecutor. He didn't look at any of that. But what did he do? He looked to Christ. And he's basically saying, wherever you lead me, I'll follow That's the discipleship he's talking about. Church, when you go back over there into Matthew in 16, he says, I'll read 26 again, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That's the rich young ruler. That's the man that looked at all that he had, and he would not, he could not follow Christ because his heart was captivated by this world. I've read that over and over and over. And every time I read it, you know what I'm saying inside? Just go sell it. Go give it to the poor. Follow him. It's like watching a movie over and over and you're wanting the end to come out differently. Because the truth of the matter is when Paul was following Christ, we, we preach these things, we glory in, in what Paul did in the name of Christ. But there was many times, brethren, when he was alone, when everybody was against him and he kept pressing on, he kept pursuing Christ. It wasn't a glory-filled looking thing to the people looking at it. It was hard. He says, broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to, to everlasting death, but narrow is the gate, and confined is the pathway that leads to life. That's what disciples of Christ have to go through. But don't think for a second that it's this burden, this horrible thing. No. The God of our salvation is with us. There is a joy. The people who know... Listen, I've heard people preach. I've heard speakers at conferences. And and they're good. But there's sometimes they bring in people from the mission field who've been in the fire. And when they talk... You feel like you're listening to someone who knows who they're talking about on a level that I've never experienced. And the joy they talk about and the peace they talk about. But it's not due to the so-called circumstances of the material world. And yet, what do we do? We just keep trying to materialize. We keep trying to humanize. We keep trying to do all of these things. We're trying to fit this wrong idea and make it Christian. There's only one thing that's Christian, and that's Christ. And it's His life. It's being conformed to His life. That thing got to go. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to come down on you. No more than I'm trying to come down on me. Church, 
If you don't think things are fixing to change in America, you're just not. You're, your head's in the sand. Since Bruce Jenner's done this, I think I'm a woman thing. Well, now nobody even seems to know who's a woman and who's a man. I mean, my goodness. We've got people that are supposedly pastors going right along with this stuff. We've got so-called solid pastors who go, well, we just want to be careful. It ain't got nothing to do with being careful. It's about what is true. What has God said on the matter? You ought to, my mom just recorded this Dietrich Bonhoeffer documentary. I don't care if you like his doctrine or not. Go watch the thing and look at what they were saying in Germany at the time. It's time to... Same thing Trump's saying right now. Germany's a change for Germany. I don't know. I'm terrible at remembering stuff like that, but whatever. It's the same slogan, only it's in America now. Make Germany great. Thank you, somebody. Aaron, now it's make America great again, right? People are so foolish, we'd never look at history and ever think it's really going to happen again. We'll look at it and go, ah, it ain't going to come here. I'll guarantee it's coming here. I'll guarantee it's coming here. And I'm going to tell you something. If we continue to go about doing things the way we've been doing things, you are not going to be prepared. Our Bible studies are not just to have Bible... Listen, folks. Listen to me. You don't have to come to church. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You don't have to. It's not a rule. He says believers should want to come together in fellowship. I just want to put something to you. If you could be anywhere in the world right now, you anywhere your heart's desire could be, where would it be? Now, you might be saying, well, I'd rather be in John MacArthur's church. Okay. But what I'm saying is, you're thinking, man, I'd rather be on the lake fishing. I'd rather be doing this. Go do it. Go do it. There's no sense in pretending. Okay? There's no sense in pretending. This is like the Detroit Pistons. This is what we're about. This is what we're about. We're the bad boys of Detroit, of Detroit, and this is the way we play ball. And if you're not on board with us, we don't need you. We'll have the owner get rid of you today. Kyle, those three guys right there, sitting right beside Dylan... Their football team this year was one of the best Class A, you know, small school, but one of the best Class A teams to ever be in the state of Oklahoma. Not, I'm not saying, like, oh, it's time to brag on my son and his friends, but here's why. When it came time for the Daily Oklahoman to give out All-State awards, we only had one guy make it for kicking. We had a team of All-Stars. Do you know what our coach contacted him and says, we didn't get nothing from you guys. We get, where's the love, you know? And you know what the guy says? He goes, well, you had such a team. It's kind of hard to pick out of there. So it's easy to pick guys that really stand out on their teams that we destroyed, you know, time and again. But here's the thing. I asked Kyle this morning. I said, on occasion, somebody would blow it. Landon might blow it. You know, Kyle might blow it. I said, what happened in the huddle? Did y'all jump on this guy? And he goes, no. He said, man, don't worry about it. We'll get it next time. We need to be exhorting and encouraging each other daily. Randy talked to us about this Wednesday night. We need to be encouraging. We need to be exhorting. We need to be saying, hey, we're in a war. 
We ain't got time over here to, to wallow in this stuff. You got to get up, brother. A friend of mine was in World War II. They were in like a special task force group. I mean, they would scale walls in the night. It was, it was kind of one of those really cool things, but he never hardly talked about it. But he told me a couple of stories, and one of them was this. He says, we were in a place, there wasn't very many of us, and there's Germans that had taken over this village. He says, we're just laying in the grass. We can't move or we're going to get spotted. And this friend of mine, he was a slingshot, maybe one of the best slingshot shooters in the world. Just grew up killing things as a kid. And they saw that he was so good when he was in basic training, they issued it. He had to keep that thing with him all the time. And in this story, when it started getting dark, the leader of his group said, said there was a German that was on guard, and he was smoking a cigarette, and they could see the glow of his cigarette, so they knew where he was at. And he says, Joe, do you think, do you, think you can hit him? He goes, I reckon so. You've got to realize he can't hardly see. All he can see is the glow of that light. And he pulls that slingshot back. When that dude sucked on that cigarette and lit that thing up, thunk, and he drops him. Their thing was, we've got to run for everything we've got. He told Joe, he says, I'm going to lead. You bring up the rear. And he says, do not leave anyone behind. He said, we had ran for about a quarter of a mile, and we heard him. They realized we, what had happened. We could hear him coming. And one of the guys in his group, he just finally dropped. He was exhausted. And Joe says, get up, soldier. We've got to go. And he says, I can't. And Joe says, you've got to get up. And he says, I can't. And Joe pulled out his pistol. And he said, are you sure you can't continue on? Somehow that guy found the strength to get up and go. Do you understand how serious wartime is? Do you understand how serious this wartime is? We have enemies all around us, folks. What kind of disciple are you being? Because you don't have time to wallow in self-pity if that's what you're doing. It's time to put the armor on. It's time to follow the leader. We have to. To follow Christ the way that Christ said to follow Him. We can't be making these things up. Why do so many pastors today burn out? Let me tell you why. Because somewhere, a while back, somebody decided that a plurality of elders, the biblical model of church leadership, it could be better if there was just one guy. And this one guy gets the whole thing thrown on him. Probably in one of those charts that has complainers. And he gets it all thrown on him. And after a while, he just can't do it. Between the four of us, i got to be honest, guys, I'm pretty much worse slick right now. Now, what do you do? Do you quit? Nope. You tighten up your belt. And here's the thing. You go, why, why do I want to continue on? There's times I want to quit. There's times I go, what is the point? You give advice. You counsel. You, you do these things. And it's like, did you even listen to what I said? And you just want to go, man, it's not even worth it. 
Well, it may not be worth it, but Christ is worthy. Why do we continue on? Why is it that when Paul gets stoned in Lystra, that they drag him out of the city, they think he's dead, and the Lord raised him up miraculously? It doesn't say that really, but I mean, you've got to know that's what happened. And what does he do? We quit and went home. He became a Pharisee again. No, he went preaching the gospel and he went a few places. You know what he did? He came right back there and he strengthened the disciples who were there and said, Hey, it's worth it. Where are those people at? Because that's the people I want to be surrounded around. And I'm convinced that you are those people because I don't think God is going to put me around a bunch of wusses. So it's time, it's time that we take up our cross. And we quit trying to, all this stuff about, oh, my life is so hard. Yes, your life is hard. That's why it's called a trial. We're all going through trials of different degrees. Now, let me say this. I know that there's some tough things going on everywhere here. I know that. And we deal with those things. For the rest of you, back up and take a look. I mean, are you just tired? That's it? That's it? You're tired? When you're in a football game waiting and you're tired, what do you do? You grit your teeth and you keep going, don't you? And at the end of that, you get a ring that says, hey, we're the state champs. You go down the history books, we're the state champs. For Christians, we get so much more than that. But it's time that we rise up, church, and we be the people that he's called us to be. We look, if you've got to stop doing your systemized reading and you've got to go back and get in the Gospels and say, I'm going to focus on the path that Jesus walked. I'm going to find out what he is like, and I'm going to pattern my life after him. I'm going to go look at the men who pattern their life after Christ. Paul says, follow me because I follow Christ. Imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. That's the disciples we want to make. My goodness, when you get in Hebrews, and he says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses those people think, oh, they're all the bird cheering us on. Woo, run. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying those witnesses, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, David, all these witnesses, do you know what they're saying? You know what they're telling us? He's worthy. Press on. It's worth it in the end. Keep following Christ. You fall on your face, you get up. Those cloud of witnesses, they're witnessing about Him. They're testifying on His behalf. That's what they're doing. There's a lot more I could say. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I think you get the idea of what we're talking about today. I hope you do. I hope you just don't think Ron's always like some crazy, angry man up there. That's not my point. It's not the goal that I'm going for. 
talking to a brother that I loved dearly the other day. We was visiting several of us, going through some things, and I was listening to him. And you know what the truth was? I knew where he was at because I could feel at least the 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 thing he was feeling, whether you call it anger, frustration, whatever it was. And you see, I know how I've done in those times. See, when we get to that point, when we get to that place, we will start justifying what we're about to do. We'll start giving ourselves every right and every reason to act how we are feeling inside. And I just looked at him and I said, you can't do that. I said, I expect more out of you. I wasn't sure I should say it. It just kind of came out. Christians, I expect, church, I expect more out of you. We can't go around and saying, well, our understanding, we're way up here. Now, nobody's saying that in reality, but inside you're kind of thinking that. Yes, we, I believe we try to teach sound doctrine. I believe that we have a church full of people who understand good, sound, solid doctrine to the point that I am confident that so many of you in your workplace, in your schools, whatever, I have the utmost confidence that you're able to articulate truth. Paul Wilson told somebody not too long ago, he says, our church's problem is we're a small church. We've got so many guys that are more than capable of going into any church and pastoring right now. That's, I'll brag on that stuff. But if it isn't a reality in our life, then it's all for naught. And the thing is, I expect more from us because God has opened truth to us in a way that we never imagined. And it is not just for trophy's sake. It is not just for putting on a mantle and saying, this is what I know. It is for taking it and making it that reality. It's that disciple, that person that takes what you have learned and you make it your life. It becomes who you are. That's what it's, that's what it's about. If you don't know the Lord today, if you don't know Him, and you're sitting here listening to this, you might be thinking I'm crazy. But I'm telling you something, if you're sitting here listening to this and you know you don't know the Lord and all of a sudden it's like, man, this guy is kind of making sense. I'm going to tell you that God is working with you. And this is what he says. He says, you need to repent. You need to stop going the route you're going. You need to turn around. You need to change your mind about who you think you are and what you think you want to do. You need to start agreeing with God that you're who he says you are. If you're lost, you're a wicked sinner that's under the condemnation of God. You don't have to wait to be condemned. You're already there. But he's shown you light in his word, in the preaching of the gospel. He's opened it up to you. Repent, turn, cast yourself on Christ. Put your faith in him. What does that mean? It means this. Trust Christ, who he was, who he claimed to be, his words, the perfect life he lived, the virgin birth that he was born in, the death that he died, the substitutionary death, the resurrection that you could be justified. To say, I absolutely believe that. I trust that. And that is my only boast in salvation. That's what he requires of you today. Would you stand with me today, church?
our musicians, if y'all come. Father, I want to bow before you today. There's probably, I'm probably going to get later in the day, and I'm going to realize I went off on so many tangents that I probably did not say so many things I wanted to say. And I'm going to feel that, just that regret and all these things. But, Lord, I want to trust today that the word that went out, that, Father, it's from your throne, that it will accomplish your purpose. I love our church. I love that almost a year ago that you put it in our minds to come together as one church. I love the unity that we have felt. Lord, we're going to go through hard times. God, help us that no matter what the storm is like that rages around us, just like your disciples on that boat, there's no better place to be than to be on the boat that's in the midst of the storm where Christ is asleep on that boat. There's no better place to be in this whole world. Let us cleave to you. Let us adhere to what you have said. Let us let that be a reality in our lives. I pray for any here that may not know you, that today, God, that they would come to saving faith. In Jesus' name, amen.